Minutes later, in the living room, the atmosphere was hot and close. Everyone was polite. Everybody was calm. But you could have cut the atmosphere with a knife. That's what people say when invisible feelings vibrate in the air like ions do just before an electric storm. Mum and Aunt Gloria were on the sofa. Aunt Gloria held a glass of brandy. Dad was standing leaning back against the wall near the door. Cat and I stood beside him. The man, a detective sergeant, took notes seated at the table. His boss, the woman, had taken another chair and was sitting in the middle of the room. She was thin and short with a blue skirt and jacket and a white blouse and her eyes moved quickly around the room like lightning strikes. First, she said she was Detective Inspector Pierce and was in charge of finding Salim. Then she asked questions. Who everyone in the family was? why Aunt Gloria was visiting and why she planned to move to New York. Then she asked to see the contents of Salim's backpack. She took his things out one by one. I looked on carefully because in good detective stories, what people leave behind and don't leave behind can be a clue to where they have gone. There was a spare sweater a pair of jeans, a pair of socks, underwear, pyjamas, another sweatshirt and a tiny towel. These didn't tell me very much. Then there was a battered paperback entitled Murder at 12,000 Feet, a guidebook to New York, brand new with no creases and a tiny address book. Finally, there was a Swiss army knife and a key ring with a model of the Eiffel Tower on it, but no keys. There were no wash things, like a toothbrush, because these were still in the bathroom, I remembered, on the shelf over the basin. Detective Inspector Pierce held up the empty key ring with her eyes scrunched up. Aunt Gloria explained that Salim had brought the keyring back from a school trip to Paris, then that she had rented out her house in Manchester and given all but her own set of keys to the tenants. At present, she said, Salim had no keys to anywhere. There was silence. Then, the inspector looked over to where Cat and I were standing. You two were the last to see Selim, I understand, she said. Cat told her in a quiet voice, not like her normal voice, all about the strange man, the free ticket, tracking the pod and waiting for Selim to come down and how he hadn't. We should never have left them to get the tickets on their own, Mum said when Cat finished. The inspector's hand 
waved through the air. What this meant, I do not know. Then she turned back to Cat. You say you tracked the pod. Cat nodded. For half an hour, you did nothing but stare up and watch the London Eye go round. Well, Cat considered. We walked back so as to be able to see better. If you're too close, you can't see the pods go round properly without getting them muddled. And we chatted a bit. Without getting them muddled, Inspector Pierce repeated. She interlocked her hands and rested her chin on them. We chatted a bit. You don't have to believe us. It's not a question of believing or disbelieving. But we tracked it. We did. We're sure, aren't we, Ted? Hmm, I said. Sure, a hundred percent, no cat. Cat's eyes and lips scrunched up. Sure, 98% yes, I said. The inspector looked at me without saying anything. The corners of her lips turned up, which meant she was slightly amused. Then she tapped her nose with her interlocked fingers. So, she said, you'd allow for a margin of error. Only a small one, I said. Two percent. Two percent? In every human observation, I explained, there is a margin of error. This is because our senses are not foolproof. In fact, some people believe that 100% certainty is impossible to achieve. I stopped and put my head on one side. As humans, we cannot even be sure that the sun will rise the next day. Our assumption that it will do so is arrived at by a process of induction. This is a process where probability based on past observation allows us to predict things like weather patterns. I've had enough of this, Aunt Gloria interrupted. Sunrise, sunset, up and down, wheels, tracking pods. This is not a fun fair. This is about my son, my only son. He's missing. What I want to know is what's being done about it. We're doing all we can, Inspector Pierce said. She unlocked her fingers and smoothed her skirt. I know you're fretting. Fretting? You make it sound as if I've lost a handbag. It's early days. He's only been missing a few hours. And in the vast majority of cases, young people who disappear next to them are found within 48 hours. 48 hours? We'll miss our flight to New York. 48 hours, but usually sooner. But from the word go, we take the disappearance of minors, minors very seriously. That's why I'm here. He's not a minor. He's my boy. Mom put an arm around her. She whispered. We're doing everything possible, Inspector Pierce repeated. Such as? Dad said quietly. Everyone turned to look at him. 
The inspector sighed. We've begun checking the CCTV footage of the pods. No camera can see everything or everybody, but there's no sign of anything untoward happening that morning. Just the normal shots of normal tourists enjoying the view. We've also been taking statements from other people who rode the eye at that time. Unfortunately, the numbers run to 300 plus and we can only check the ones who paid by credit card. We've no way of checking those who paid cash, but again, so far, nobody remembers a boy matching your son's description. We've also checked hospital admissions. Aunt Gloria's went round and large at the word hospital, but nothing. Perhaps he's still just lost, said Dad. That's indeed the likeliest explanation, Inspector Pierce said. There was a pause. Perhaps everyone was doing what I was, imagining where Lost was. I pictured Salim lost on London's underground system, getting on and off trains, wandering down passages, not sure if he should be on a north or southbound train, confused by the colours, not knowing that black stood for the northern line, our line. I was thinking how if Aud sat next to him on the tube earlier in the day instead of Cat, I could have explained all about the London Underground map being topological and how you are meant to read it and then Salim would have found his way home with no problem and perhaps be here now. We need some more personal details, Inspector Pierce said. She leaned towards Aunt Gloria. I'd like to ask you some private questions. Mum got up. Let's leave, she said to the rest of us. Dad opened the living room door, leading Cat out by the elbow. But Aunt Gloria grabbed Mum by the hand. You stay, Faith. I need you, please. Mum sat down again. She stared over at me as I waited to see if Aunt Gloria would need me too. Mum mouthed something, but no sound came out. It was as if she thought I was dumb and deaf and able to lip-read. I blinked. Then she said the word out loud. Scoot. That was the last, the second time that day mum had told me to go away. I shuffled out after dad and cat and went into the kitchen with my hand flapping. Dad closed the kitchen door behind me. The police would find out more than I would and it wasn't fair. A heavy feeling like you get when you eat more calories than you can burn off efficiently came down inside of me. Cat had her face pressed against the fridge freezer. A tear trickled down her cheek and she was punching the side of her head with her fist. This meant she had the same feeling. It was frustration. Extreme. Chapter 12. Another fine mess. The wall 
between our kitchen and the living room was not thick, and we could hear murmuring voices. Well, cat, said Dad. Well, Ted, he quoted a line from his film favourites, Laurel and Hardy, another fine mess. Cat started crying more and didn't seem able to stop. Dad put his hand on her shoulder, but this was not a good idea because it made her cry louder. Through her sobbing noises, I tried to hear what the voices from the living room were saying. I heard odd words. Salim? No, never. It was always Aunt Gloria's voice. I deduced that this was because A. She was nearer the kitchen and B. She spoke more loudly than either Mum or the inspector. Then I made out a whole sentence. This was because Aunt Gloria shouted it like a thunderclap. Salim would never run away from me. I put my hands over my ears. I felt air pushing itself against my face. My mouth opened and closed. Hmm, I said. Dad opened the door to our back garden. It was early evening outside. He motioned for Cat and me to go out with him, but Cat shook her head. So, I went out with Dad on my own. We walked down the path towards the garden shed past our line of washing, which flapped in the breeze, light southwesterly. Dad, I said. Yes, Ted? What's the probability that Salim has run away? Dad gave a scrunched up look. I'd hardly blame him if he had. Then he shook his head as if he didn't mean what he had just said. I don't know, Ted. I think it's more probable he's lost somewhere, trying to get back. Sixty, forty, sorry? Sixty percent probability he's lost, forty that he's run away. Maybe seventy, thirty, I don't know. Then why hasn't he used his phone? Maybe he's run out of credit. Then why isn't he answering our calls? Maybe he's run out of charge. Dad looked up at the three-quarter moon that was rising to the east of the city. I know, a lot of maybes. He signed. Salim and your Aunt Gloria had a strange relationship, Ted. For all that she nags him and he backchats her, I think they are close. Close? Like weather gets close? No, close like near, close to each other. That's why I wouldn't have thought he'd run away, not in a strange city, not without having anywhere to go. I remembered Salim's joke fit, because he didn't want to go to the art gallery. I remembered how stamping his foot when Aunt Gloria had tried to suggest leaving the eye until later. I'm good at counting things and timing things and remembering things, but 
I find it hard to know whether people like each other or not. I have a basic five-point code to reading people's faces, which Mr. Shepherd had taught me from cartoon pictures. Number one. Lips up, loads of teeth showing, equals very amused, happy. Number two. Lips up, no teeth showing, equals slightly amused, pleased. Number three. Lips pressed together, slightly turned down, equals not amused, slightly cross, or else puzzled, hard to tell which. Number four. Lips pressed together, eyes scrunched up at the same time, equals very displeased, angry. Number five. Lips round like an O and eyes wide open, equals startled or surprised. I thought about Salim and the way his eyes shifted around the ground a lot and how he'd looked up towards the sky when Aunt Gloria was talking. But it didn't fit into the five-point code. I didn't know what emotion it matched. I thought of him in the queue to get on the eye, squinting upwards, looking down, turning this way and that. I thought of him shuffling in his sleeping bag, signing in his sleep. Recognising the five basic emotions is one thing. Knowing how they mix together is another thing. It is like knowing about secondary colours as well as primary colours. Blue and yellow are easy paint colours to recognise, but it isn't easy to predict that if you mix them together you get green. So, if they are close, I said to Dad, that means Salim wants to be near Aunt Gloria always and wouldn't run away. Not necessarily near always, but there again. Dad ran a hand through his hair so he looked like Stan Laurel. We don't really know your Aunt Glory that well, or Salim. It's been five years since we saw them last. The arm of a short sleeve on the line flapped into Dad's face and got tangled around his neck. He laughed, which seemed a strange thing to do when you're in the middle of a crisis. He peeled the sleeve out of his way. Maybe they are close like the weather, Ted. Combustible. Who knows? All I know, it's another fine mess.